Oh, that's a good response. That means it's going to be a good morning. That's good. That's good. Well, my name is Eli Garza. For those of you who don't know me, I get to serve here at Calvary as the student and young adult discipleship pastor. And so I'm also honored to be able to bring God's word with us this morning. We've been in a series about how the gospel changes everything. Right? We talk about how the gospel has changed our lives, how the gospel has changed the workspace, the public square. It changes everything about us and, and around us. And today we're closing the series and talking about how the gospel changes the world. How the gospel is so powerful and amazing that it literally changes the world. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, if you could turn your Bibles that way. And as you do that, I want to go ahead and take a moment to give you an update on what's kind of happened in my life and how my world has changed over the past year. I feel like I don't get to talk to you enough. They don't, they don't bring me up here enough for a reason. But, but I want to just share about this past year, how everything has changed. Because last September, I was able to, to celebrate one year of being a pastor for students and adults here at Calvary. And, and I've learned so much over the course of that year. And, and a lot has changed. And I've been able to grow and see how God uses all ages, all generations for the glory of his kingdom. We've seen students, young adults, adults, senior adults come to know Jesus for the very first time. We've been able to partner with different ministries, different mission groups, and, and it's been amazing. But by far, the thing that has changed my world the most was the moment that I was able to marry my wife, Jackie, about 10 months ago. Tomorrow will be 10 months of officially being married. We got married in December. And I love marriage. It's been great. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's only 10 months. Like, clap when we're at 50 years, okay? Uh, <laughs> but, but, but it has been an amazing journey so far. And, and, it's, and I love it, right? The wedding and the honeymoon is great. But nobody prepared me for what my world was going to look like when she started moving in her things and her stuff and moving my stuff around. And I'm realizing, wait, things are drastic. Like, they're going to change drastically, aren't they? And, and I'm not allowed to do certain things anymore and whatnot. And so my world has definitely changed the past 10 months. It's been great, but it's definitely changed. And one of the things that I realized about me and my wife is that we're both determined people, right? We're both determined people. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think sometimes we hear people that are determined, uh, determined, did I say determined? Determined people. And sometimes we want to interchange that word for stubborn. Sometimes we want to change it into annoying. Sometimes we want to change it into persistent. Now, I think my wife and I are both very determined people, but she might tell you that I'm stubborn. And I don't think that's really fair. I don't think it's fair that she would, uh, you know, take my determination and turn it into stubbornness because in reality, I like to think myself as more as romantic, um, devoted to my wife, right? And, and I just want to make sure that any decision that we make is going to bless us, it's going to prosper us, right? And so maybe that comes in the form of purchasing a new grill because I want to make sure that we have a, a place to where we can cook meat and bring people over for fellowship and God moves in that fellowship and it's okay that she doesn't see it right now that way but I know as long as I'm determined and I, and I convince her and we make this decision to get this grill that she will reap the benefits of this grill and see how glorious God can move in these fellowships and I, and I think that's romantic I think that's beautiful it's okay baby you don't see it right now but I promise you will you will reap the benefits in the future, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but determination is, a, is an important factor in my life because in reality, 
if I wasn't a determined person, we wouldn't have been married in the first place. You see, in order for us to get married, I need to ask my wife to marry me. In order to ask my wife to marry me, I need to purchase an engagement ring. So really quick story. I, I'm a millennial, so I buy everything online, okay? And so I designed the ring online. I picked out the diamond that I wanted, what I, what I wanted it to look like, what I wanted to say. And I'm really good about my packages, so I order it. I'm excited. It gets supposed to get here in whatever amount of days, and I'm, I'm checking my emails, keeping up with it. And one morning I get an email saying, hey, your package has been delivered. And I'm concerned. Why? Because, first of all, I requested that a signature needed to, to be made in, other, in, in order for the package to be delivered. And I didn't sign anything. Number two, I am at my apartment. And I have no package in front of me. So, obviously, I'm scared. I'm freaking out because there is a lot of money invested in this ring. And this ring is about to change my world. So, I need this ring. I call the company. Hey, uh, it says my package is delivered, but I haven't received anything. Well, let me send you to the delivery company, okay? Hey, uh... Y'all said you delivered my package, but I don't have anything. Let me send you to the guy that delivered in your area. Hey, man, where's my package? He says, hey, look, I went to the right address. Somebody signed for it. They gave me their ID. It looked the same. So I went for it. And I said, are you kidding me right now? Like, that's, that's ridiculous. And so uh, any person could have maybe remained calm and said, you know what? This will play out okay. Just be patient. Take your time. It will all work out. Well, as I mentioned, I'm a romantic, right? I'm determined. So what do I decide to do? I started walking around my apartment, knocking on doors. This is a true story, okay? I'm knocking on doors. Hey, uh, somebody said they came to this neighborhood, our apartment complex, and delivered a package. Did you receive one? And I keep going. They're like, no, we didn't get one. I'm sorry. The next person, no, we didn't get one. The next person, hey, you're really starting to scare me. No, we didn't get a package. Finally, I end up at the door of a young lady. And I, I knock and... and uh, I say, hi, my name is Eli. I'm looking for a package. And she looks at me with anger, right? And she says, you. And I said, me? She says, yes, you. I said, I don't, I don't even know who this lady is. It's the first time I've ever seen you. And she goes, you have taken me on such an emotional roller coaster ride. And I said, I don't know you, lady. She says, you're looking for a ring, right? I said, yes, I'm looking for a ring. Do you have it? She says, yeah, I have your ring. As a matter of fact, I signed for it because our names look so similar that I thought they just misspelled it. And I opened the package, and in there is a beautiful diamond ring that's exactly my size, exactly what I've put on my Pinterest. I've been with my boyfriend for four years, and I thought that this was the moment that he was going to propose, and I might have ruined it. But I called him, and he said, no, he didn't buy the ring. No, it's not for you. You need to send that back wherever it came from. And I'm just looking at her like, I am so sorry. I felt so terrible. The hurt, the pain in this young lady's eyes, thinking that it was for her, but it wasn't. And I can just imagine how much her boyfriend hated me in that moment. But the thing is, if we can be real for a moment, that was God-ordained. Because if that moment didn't happen... Maybe she would have waited another four years. So either she's going to leave this fool or this guy's going to wake up and buy a ring and marry her soon, right? Um, but I was determined. I was determined to get this ring. And, and my question for us this morning is when was the last time you were so determined that you were willing to stop at nothing to make sure that you, need, that you got what you needed to get or you, needed, or you got to the place that you needed to be at? When was the last time you were so determined that nothing was going to stop you from making sure that you were successful or making sure that you 
did what you had to do. You see, in Luke 19, we read a story of Zacchaeus. And in the story, we see how his determination led to an encounter with Jesus that would change his world forever. It would change his world in such a way that it would impact everyone around him. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too, Zacchaeus, is a son of Abraham. In verse 10, the culmination of the reason why Jesus came into our world. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What a powerful story. Beautiful story of a man who encountered Jesus, the embodiment of the gospel, and how his world, his life changed forever. And this is a very well-known story. You may know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and you know the rest of the lyrics. But, but sometimes I think it's so nice to come back to this story and read it. But then we need to make sure that we understand the fullness of what's happening in the context of that culture. What was the world that Zacchaeus was living in, what did it look like, right? And so we know a few things about this world that Zacchaeus was living in. First of all, he's living in Jericho. Now Jericho at this time was a place with a lot of wealth, a place that was profitable, a place that was booming. Businesses, trading, all sorts of stuff. Jericho is a place that you want to be at if you want to make money, you want to be successful. That is where Zacchaeus is staying at the time. A lot of prosperity happening there. But we also know, and a very interesting and important detail was that Zacchaeus was a short man. Now, why is this important, right? I'm reading the story and I'm, and I'm wondering, aside from the fact that he can't see over the crowd, why, why is it so important that we understand that Zacchaeus was a short man? Why? Well, if there's anything that I know about people, and I include myself in this, is that we care so much about what people think about us. We really do. And it's rooted in our insecurities. It's rooted in, 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 in the way that the world continues to throw things at us that we need to look like or be like. And a prime example of this is Instagram and Facebook, right? We, we, we know that we post things on Instagram and Facebook and we say, hey, this is how my world looks like right now. It's amazing. It's great. Right? You tweet something, a quote, and all of a sudden you're like the world's most influential philosopher because you got a thousand retweets, right? But that's what we do. We hide behind this filter, but when we look behind it, we see brokenness. We see people that are hurting, people that are using this filter as a means 
to pretend like you have it all together. Well, Zacchaeus doesn't have Instagram. Zacchaeus doesn't have Twitter or Facebook, right? And so what was the thing that people would judge people by then? Well, it was their status, right? Maybe how, how wealthy they were. Maybe it was how they looked. The first thing that you do when you meet a person is you look at them. And, you, and subconsciously you say, okay, this person is tall or this person is bald or this person is whatever it is, right? We immediately start, just our brains just start analyzing and, and judging really who we have in front of us. Just natural. That's a natural thing. And so Zacchaeus is short. And so I think it's safe to assume that him being short could have affected his confidence. It could have affected the way that people viewed him. And it could have led to belittlement. It could have led to people ridiculing him because of the many disadvantages that came with being short. I mean, you're, you're a short guy. Like, we don't, what, what are you going to do? And so I think that that ultimately led him also down the career path that he decided to choose. So what do we do when we, when we want to compensate for how we look or, or whatever? We, we, we get a career that's going to make us amazing. And so Zacchaeus decides to be the worst career. He decides to choose the worst career in terms of popularity. He decides to be a tax collector. Now, if you know anything about tax collectors, they're considered to be one of the most corrupt people during this time. Why? Because they would go and collect money from Jewish people for the Roman government. But we read here that Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector, which means he's probably overseeing many different parts of the area, and he's hurting many different people. He ran the first ever pyramid scheme through his tax collection business, right? And so what he would do is he would collect taxes for the Roman government, but not only collect what was needed, he would ask more so that he could keep some for himself, so that he would then be able to pay off Roman soldiers to enforce this rule. Fear Fear is what Zacchaeus was known for. Through the money, taking food out of people's mouth by taking their money, this is who Zacchaeus was. And what did that lead to? Well, it led to hatred. You know why? Because Zacchaeus was also a Jew. Imagine Zacchaeus, a Jew, amongst his own people, taking money from his own people. How much insecurity does Zacchaeus have to say, you know what, I don't care about my people. I'm going to take money from them. I may be short, but you know what, I'm going to be powerful. And so Zacchaeus, his whole world, his identity is tied into his physical stature, his status, his wealth, and his power. That is who Zacchaeus is. That's the world that Zacchaeus is living in. And it's also a world that's extremely lonely because it's filled with people that despise him, that hate him. And Zacchaeus, while he thought at the time it seemed like, a, like if this was the world that it was worth living in at the time, we also see how quickly that changed when he heard about Jesus coming into town. You see, at this time, Jesus had a ministry that was very fruitful. His name is being known across all the land. And so now Zacchaeus is hearing mutterings of Jesus coming into town. Hey, uh, this Jesus guy, did you hear that they're calling him the Messiah? Dude, this Jesus guy, he's healing people. This Jesus guy is, is claiming to be the son of God. People are calling him the son of God. And so Zacchaeus is listening to this. He says, hey, man, I want in on this. I don't want to miss out. And so one thing that we, we notice about Zacchaeus is he's also determined. He's determined to see 
Jesus so determined that he's willing to do what? Climb a tree. Now imagine this for a moment. Again, if you know me, I love sports. And I I know I talk about this way too much, but I'm sorry. (laughs) This is just how God made me. Um, If if you were to ask me, one of my favorite players of all time is, is Tony Romo, former quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Now let's just say that Tony Romo, we find out, is coming to the valley. Okay, and I know where he's about to be. He's about to be at some park or something. But the crowds are so many, like I can't even reach him. So then you turn around and you see me, a grown man, climb a tree that's right above Tony Romo. And I'm like, hey, Tony, 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 it's me. Right? Imagine me doing that. What would cross your mind? <laughs> this, guy, this guy is a moron. <laughs> This guy is a complete loser. This is a grown man climbing a tree to see another grown man. Right? What is going on in this world? You know who climbed trees? Children. Children climb trees, not grown men. Especially not in this culture where Zacchaeus is living in. In his world, you don't climb trees for other men. You don't climb trees really for anything. You make other people climb trees to get stuff for you. That's, that's what you do. But Zacchaeus in this moment is so desperate and determined to see Jesus, just to get a glimpse of him, and that he's willing to climb a tree. And I think it's such a beautiful reminder that at this point, Zacchaeus didn't care anymore what people thought about him. Zacchaeus didn't care anymore about the hatred, about how people viewed him. All he cared about was I got to see Jesus to the point that he's willing to climb a tree. And it reminds me of how the Lord calls us to be humble. Scripture tells us to humble ourselves so that we would then see the Lord. And I ask myself this question, how far am I willing to go? How much am I willing to forego to the point where I don't care about what people think of me? They may think I'm crazy, but I will stop at nothing until I go and see Jesus. Until I go and meet Jesus because I know that there's something in this man. I know that there's something that he offers that nobody else, none of this world can offer me. Maybe Zacchaeus is tired of, of hearing how much people hate him. Maybe he's tired of living the life. We don't know. That's not in the scripture. But what I do know is that he forego his popularity by climbing a tree and looking like a fool in order to see Jesus. And I ask myself, are you willing to climb that tree? Are you willing to risk it all, your title, your popularity, to climb a tree so that you could have an encounter with Jesus? May we humble ourselves before the Lord so that we can encounter him in such a real way like Zacchaeus is about to. Because then we see Jesus enter the picture. Zacchaeus is already climbing the tree looking down and Jesus says, Zacchaeus! Zacchaeus! Imagine Zacchaeus' face. Oh, shoot. He knows my name? He knows who I am? How beautiful it is that we have a Savior that calls us by name. Notice, he didn't call him by, hey, tax collector. Hey, Jew. He called him by his name, Zacchaeus. And ironic enough, Zacchaeus means pure in heart. And he was far from being pure in heart. Nobody would have thought that Zacchaeus, out of all people, was pure in heart. But yet Jesus called him by name, which means that he knows who he is. He already knows that he's a tax collector. He already knows that he's living in a broken world. He already knows that people hate him. Yet Jesus uses his name, pure in heart, Zacchaeus. I am going to talk to you right now. 
not only does he talk to him, what does he do? He makes a request, not, not even a request. He tells them what's about to happen. This is what's so beautiful about Jesus sometimes. He says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going over to your house. Anybody have that person that just shows up at your house, like, without even telling you? That's, like, one of the most annoying things in the world. I, I mean, I love, I love my friends. Love, don't get me wrong. But if I'm in, the, in my zone already and I'm just chilling and you just walk into my door, I'm going to throw something at you, Right? That's not how loving I am. But Jesus says, no, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree because I'm going to your place right now. I'm going right now to your house. Now, when you go to somebody's house in this culture, you're not just going for five minutes. You're not just picking up Whataburger, talking in the car, and then you're out. No. You go, you get the ingredients, you prepare the table, you cook, you eat, you pray. This is hours of time that Jesus is going to spend with Zacchaeus. Hours of time that he's going to devote to Zacchaeus. And what is the response of the people that are watching? Notice. Wait a minute. Zacchaeus is going to spend time with Jesus? Why would Jesus do that? He's going to go spend time with a sinner? I mean, look at this fool. He's climbing a tree, first of all, thinking that he can even get to Jesus. Who would even want to hang out with Zacchaeus? Why would Jesus want to hang out with Zacchaeus? He's climbing a tree looking like a fool. Only kids climb trees. Yet, Jesus, you're going to call him by name and you're going to go to his house for a meal? You see, what was the world that they were living at the time? The world that they had was filled with rules, with conditions in order to be loved, conditions in order to be accepted, conditions in order to have relationships with them. You needed to be this, this, and this. If not, you won't have relationship with me. If not, you won't come into my home. You need to be this. But Jesus is defying their world and saying, no, 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 no. That's not the world that I've come to establish. That is not the kingdom that I've come to establish. My fear is that some of us maybe have had the same approach to some of our brothers and sisters. How could, how could someone let this person serve on this team? Do they not know that X, Y, and Z? Do they not know that the other day, X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be. But Jesus, in his grace and love and kindness and mercy, calls Zacchaeus down from the tree. And it reminds me of something so beautiful, is that Jesus doesn't cast out anybody. Jesus doesn't cast out one person that the Father sends to him. In a book titled Gentle and Lowly, there's a beautiful section where the author is talking about being casted out. And he quotes a theologian by the name of John Bunyan. And, and I just very quickly want to read this, this section. So give me just a few minutes because I think it's so powerful to remind yourself how Jesus doesn't cast out anybody. The verse is John chapter 6, verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so he breaks down these, this verse into specific sections. He starts with the word all, right? And he says, not most, but all. Once the father sets his loving gaze on a wandering sinner, that sinner's rescue is certain. Then he goes to the next word, the father. Our redemption is not a matter of a gracious son trying to calm down an uncontrollably angry father. The father himself ordains our deliverance. He takes the loving initiative. The next word is gives, right? He doesn't haggle over. He doesn't struggle, but he gives. 
It is the Father's deep delight to freely entrust the rebels into the gracious care of his Son. And then will come. God's purpose for a sinner is never thwarted. He is never frustrated. He never runs out of resources. If the Father calls us, we will come to Jesus Christ. And lastly, oh no, in two words. And whoever comes, yet we are not robots. While the Father is clearly the sovereign overseer of our redemption, we are not dragged, kicking and screaming into Christ against our will. But instead, divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and turns around our very desires. Our eyes are opened and Christ becomes beautiful. We come to him and anyone, whoever is welcome to come to Jesus. Comes to who? Comes to Jesus. Comes to me. This is my my favorite part of this, this section. It says this. We do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not even come to the gospel. All these things are vital, but most truly, we come to a person, Christ himself. We come to a person, Christ himself, and Jesus is that person that Zacchaeus is coming to. And when he encounters Jesus for the first time, and he has bread, breaks bread with them, and Zacchaeus is listening, what happens? How does Zacchaeus respond? He responds in repentance. He says, Lord, look, now I give all half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. You see, Jesus' kindness led him to repentance. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, but before you come down from that tree, I need to make sure that you quit your job. Stop being a tax collector. And before you come down from that tree, I need you to go and ask for everybody's forgiveness. And before you come down from that tree, I need to make sure that you yourself are going to sacrifice all these things before you can even enter my presence. No. He says, come down from that tree. That's it. I'm going to your house right now. And Zacchaeus obeys. Some of us need to make that, that, that climb to that tree, friends. Some of us need to take a leap of faith and say, I don't care. I'm going to risk it all to climb this tree. But then some of us need to come down from that tree right now. Some of us need to listen to the call that the Lord has already on us. Jesus is wanting to meet you where you are. Jesus is wanting to sit down with you. Because his kindness will lead to your repentance. And when Zacchaeus repents, he's willing to give half of his possessions. Not only that, to give four times what he's stolen. Imagine this scene. Zacchaeus is walking around. He enters uh, the, the property of a home that he had stolen from. He's knocking on the door. The family's in there and they're saying, shh, don't, don't open the door, Zacchaeus. He's, he's going to try and take my money. Don't open the door. Zacchaeus is knocking. And they look and, and finally Zacchaeus just kind of bends down and then walks away. And then they open the door and when they open the door, right on their footsteps is a bunch of cash. A bunch of money. Everything that he had stolen, and four times more of that. You see, the gospel, the, inner, the, the encounter that he had with Jesus was so powerful. He was willing to completely do the opposite. He was led, he was moved, he was motivated to give up everything that he had wronged from people. Have you had an encounter so real with Jesus that your life has changed dramatically, that your world has changed just like the world that Zacchaeus has changed? Have you had an encounter with Jesus 
where you didn't have to pretend that you were okay, that you were all right, that you just came down from the tree and let the kindness of Jesus lead you to repentance. Because this is what Jesus says at the end of this. He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, from the very beginning, Zacchaeus thought that he was going to go and seek Jesus. Thought that he was going to go and try to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. But the entire time, before Zacchaeus was even born, God had ordained a moment that he was going to go and seek Zacchaeus. It was never about Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. It was all about Jesus seeking Zacchaeus. In that moment, he told Zacchaeus to come down from a tree and to sit with him. Why? Because later, a week or two later, he's about to die on a tree. He's about to sacrifice his body on a tree so that the sins of the world would be forgiven, so that the sins of the world would not matter anymore because he has paid it all. Have you had an encounter with Jesus where you recognize, I need to come down from my tree right now because he has already died on a tree for me. He has already sacrificed his life for me. He has already given me anything and everything that I could ever need and want. Lord, I surrender my life. Here's half of my possessions. Here's everything because my world is changed forever. And the identity that Zacchaeus once had, the identity that Zacchaeus once had as a power-driven money-hungry, Jew-hating person no longer existed because his identity now lied in Jesus, now lied in the title Son of God. Zacchaeus became a member of the family on that day. Salvation came to Jesus. And remember, the order that happened to it. It was a leap of faith. It took one step from Zacchaeus And his repentance and his believing. And then Jesus said salvation came to this house right now. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. He continues to seek you. And some of you may resonate with the idea of being an outcast. Maybe you think there's so much I've done in my life. There's just no way. There's no way I can come to the altar right now and give it all to Jesus. I need to make sure first I got some some things I got to do. I'm, 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 a, I, I, I'm a thief. I've, I've stolen too much. I will cast out no one. No, but, but, but I've cheated. I will cast out no one. No, but, but, but I've committed adultery. I will cast out no one. No, but you don't understand. I've lied so much to my wife. I will cast out no one. I've, I've hurt my parents so much. I will cast out no one. None of that trumps the power-saving blood of Jesus Christ. None of it trumps that. Jesus is seeking you, calling you by name to come before him, to step down from that tree. Because he has already died on one for you. My prayer, church, this morning is that we would remember the story of Zacchaeus in a way that will remind us that Jesus has come to change the world. And if he could change Zacchaeus' world, he can change my world, he can change your world. Because he has come to establish a kingdom that's much greater than the world that we live in today. We see the world today and we know it's broken. We know there are people hurting. But the gospel is the power that changes the world. 
And we, those of us who have surrendered their lives to Jesus already, those of us who have already repented and believed, have now hold the light, the good news of Jesus to share and be little spots of hope all around the world. Sharing the good news of Jesus. Sharing that there's still hope. Sharing that there's grace. Sharing that it's not too late. Maybe you need to make that decision today. Maybe you never thought about what it would look like to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe that phrase in itself is so, so foreign to you. But I'm here to tell you it's not too late. I'm here to tell you that he knows every single person in every single pew by name. You don't surprise God. What you've done hasn't surprised him. What you're going to do is not surprising him either. Because he's God. And he loves you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for reminding us of your grace, of your kindness, of your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for calling us down from our tree so that you could die on one for us. We thank you, Lord, that through your kindness there is repentance, that you have come to seek and to save lost, that, that we don't even seek you. You seek us. You seek us, Jesus. In the same way that Adam and Eve, when they fell in the, into the sin of the world and, and ate of the, the fruit of the tree and they were scared, they ran away. And what did you do, God? You, you sought after them. Where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? In the same way when people thought there was no hope for Lazarus, you said, no, where is Lazarus? I need, I need to go look for him right now. No, he's dead. No, but you don't understand. I have the power to resurrect him. It's not too late for Lazarus. To the moment now where you continue to seek us, Jesus, remind us of that, Father. May we come to you. May we humble ourselves. And may we surrender it all to you. It's in the mighty and precious name of Jesus that we pray. And we say, amen.